Alright, what's good y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I'm your host for today, Simon Villanos, and today we are back at it. We are giving you our week three recap of the Colorado football season, that 2021 football season. We're going to go ahead and hit it off and talk about middle school ball real quick. We went out to one game here. We, as in Mason Austin and I, but uh, before I talk about this middle school game we go to, just wanted to say the Junior Buffs notched another dub this weekend, so they are now 2-0, and and it was a very convincing dub. I don't believe they actually allowed any points, but uh, there you go. But I just wanted to talk about this game here that Mason and I were able to go to. It was the Aurora Spartans. We covered them in week one. They had a bye the previous week, so that's why we didn't talk about them, but uh, this is DJ Bordeaux's team. He is one of the best young quarterbacks in the state of Colorado. He's an eighth grader, so this is an eighth grade team. And you know what? He wasn't playing uh, this week against this. Uh, I want to say it's the Graphite Spartans. I want to say, and that's that's kind of a tough loss. You know, obviously, whenever you lose your quarterback, that's a tough loss. But unfortunately, he did suffer a knee injury actually in practice. He should be good to go next week, hopefully. Uh, I don't think it was anything too serious there, but they went ahead and held him out of this game against the Spartans and you know this uh, Spartans team the Graphite Spartans that is they're a pretty good squad you know they got some players on their team and they got some big boys on their team as well so they're no slouch of a team but this Aurora Spartans team showed me and Mason a lot actually they showed that they are not super reliant on DJ and DJ is a great quarterback he's the type of kid that could take your team to the next level but they also showed that they have plenty of talent without him and this is a team that can win without him and can compete without him if it ever comes down to that and so it was really good really just getting to see a bunch of other different names out there you know make plays and do their thing and kind of contribute to the success of this game and now I'm just going to go ahead and say that they did not win this game the graphite spartans went ahead and won a close win actually 30 to 28 and ended up it ended up being a shootout more like but let me go ahead and talk about some of the kids some of the players that stood out to us so um number one the I guess the player that stood out to me and Mason the most, and Mason will definitely agree with this, is Tanner Tezdal. I hope I'm saying his last name right, but he's number 15. He took over at quarterback. He also plays safety for this team. Last year, actually, he was this team's quarterback, and so it wasn't like he was that far removed from it. And he did show in this game why he was the starting quarterback for this team last year. Now, Tanner here, he's an athletic dude with a really nice arm. He's the kind of player that you could definitely live with at quarterback. He's probably your team's best athlete or one of the best athletes on this team at the very least. First off on defense, you know, he snagged two interceptions and Look, I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there, but the quarterback for the other team, number eight. Now, unfortunately, I do not have his name, but he is an absolute stud. Homeboy could run the ball really well, and he's just a smooth runner that could, you know, run almost untouched. You know, he's just that smooth of a runner, doesn't take a lot of big hits, and is just very smart when he runs the ball. And honestly, he's the type of guy that can rip off long touchdown runs if you don't play disciplined enough defense. 
But in my opinion, he's not a quarterback. <laughs> At least on the next level, he won't be a quarterback. Now, he's a fantastic athlete. I think he's somebody who could be an excellent running back, receiver, skill player, whoever. Because, you know, you need to give him the ball and let him make plays. But I just don't think he is, at least right now, polished enough to play quarterback. Now, that doesn't mean that he could never play quarterback. That just means right now, I just don't see it. I think he could be a better receiver. Somebody who could uh, probably excel a little bit more there. You know, but regardless... Regardless, you know, he can't really throw the ball super well, at least from what me and Mason saw, you know, he has a strong arm, you know, the arm strength is there, but the touch and accuracy necessarily isn't there. And so on the two picks that Tanner actually had, both of them were really bad throws, like he was kind of just trying to throw it, throw it deep and, you know, find a receiver, hopefully, but... I mean, there just wasn't anything there, and he probably shouldn't have thrown them. Tanner, regardless, made big plays. He got those two interceptions. I want to say it was in the first quarter. It was one of the first plays, I want to say. And then the second one was either in the second or third quarter. But... You know, regardless, though, Tanner did show that he is an excellent safety. And he's somebody that could come up and hit as well. He's not afraid of contact. Don't get it twisted, you know. He's someone who is definitely not afraid to hit. And so he made some good plays on the ground as well, pursuing number eight, who was, I would say, probably their main threat on uh, the opposing offense. So there you go. And then obviously at quarterback, he did contribute a number of touchdowns on the ground and through the air. Uh, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. I wasn't able to stay the whole time, but Mason was. Mason said he played a very good game. I believe he had a touchdown throw to a fellow Spartan, uh, Julian Savaloha, I want to say, a.k.a. Juice, number 10. He had a fantastic 40-yard receiving touchdown, Mason said, uh, obviously from Tanner. And so, I... I wasn't there to see it, but, you know, a good throw is a good throw. A touchdown throw is a touchdown throw, so there you go. And then I believe Tanner also had a uh, a rushing touchdown when I was there where he just kind of blasted it into the end zone. And so Tanner here, he's a very good athlete. He's obviously somebody that, you know, on a lot of other teams, he could probably play quarterback. I don't doubt that at all, but for this team, he usually plays wide receiver. And so when they get DJ back, hopefully here soon, I think he's somebody who's definitely a guy to look out for because not only is he a skilled and fast player, athletic, you know, he's kind of a bigger dude, a more built you know, football player for an eighth grader at least. And so he's a really good receiver to have out there. And, you know, for him to step up at quarterback, you know, he hasn't played quarterback in a minute here now. You got to keep that in mind. He really just did his thing as an athlete and showed that he's one of the best athletes, you know, in Colorado, one of the best young athletes in Colorado at that. So shout out to Tanner. He is definitely somebody that we're going to talk about. I didn't mention him in week one. At least I don't think I mentioned him by name, but he was somebody that definitely made an impression on me in their first game. So I know what he's all about. Uh, and then one more player to shout out here, Sterling Dufour. I want to say he is a running back, number 26 for the Aurora Spartans. He had an, an electrifying 60-yard rushing touchdown 
to open up the third quarter. And, you know, he just shows that this team does have depth and talent. And so with him uh, taking that to the house, that says a lot. That says that, you know, he's the type of running back that can rip off a long gain like that and you know this it wasn't like bad defense on the opposing team at all when he did rip off that 60 yard touchdown he just found a hole and he hit it and he was gone you know and uh, they just couldn't catch him at the end of the day and so there you go but uh, I think I did end up leaving around the fourth quarter and I want to say almost 20 20 some points were must have been scored between the time I left and then when the game actually ended, because it did end 30 to 28 in favor of these Graphite Spartans, who did put up a really good game. And so shout out to them. They had some talent. They have some big boys on that line. You know, I want to say 76 is a number, is a name, number, whatever that came to mind as well. He was a big dude, and some other guys as well, along with number eight. And so, not a bad loss to have. All things considered, you know, you didn't have your starting quarterback out there, which is kind of a big deal. But it's an important loss, or it's an important game to play, at least without your starting quarterback, to see what you really have outside of your quarterback, which is a lot, you know. And this is a team that, uh, at least this is what I'm told, they're a bunch of good kids. They're yes coach type of players that'll find a way to get it done, and they take accountability not only for themselves, but for each other as well. And so Mason and I, at least, will try to make it out to their next game on Saturday. You know, they play another Spartans team and, you know, we'll get to see more there. So, so yeah, but without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into some high school football here and uh, get started on the 1A level. Alright, so there weren't any Thursday games, so we're going to go ahead and hop into these Friday matchups. So to kick it off, I'm going to go ahead and start off with... Holyoke versus Bridgeport. Holyoke from Colorado would go ahead and play a team from Nebraska, actually, and beat them 27-20. Now, Bridgeport from Nebraska, they were 0-2 coming in. Holyoke was 1-0 coming off of that game against Rye, where they just completely blew them out. And you know what? This was kind of a sloppy game. Bridgeport, they did force two fumbles uh, that they returned for touchdowns, actually. Two of these fumbles were returned for touchdowns. At least that's uh, what I could see here in the little recap on Max Preps. And so that's that's pretty, that's pretty I would say, sloppy. You know, first off, fumbles of any sort are sloppy, but for them to be recovered and return for touchdowns each that's 14 points right off the bat you know that's the majority of bridgeport bridgeport's points at this point and you know i don't think they are that much better of a team than holyoke to be completely honest with you so there you go but regardless holyoke still got the dub you know a large part in thanks to the sprague brothers wyatt sprague the younger brother threw two touchdowns miles sprague would run in a touchdown and so holyoke stays undefeated going 2-0 as they head into a pretty interesting matchup next week against undefeated florence speaking of undefeated teams let me mention buena vista real quick here they take care of bennett 35 to 7. This BV squad moves to 3 and 0 uh, before they play Payton this upcoming week, which should be another dub. To be completely honest with you, just wanted to make sure I go ahead and mention Buena Vista real quick here. 
And then another game we had on the 1A level on Friday was North Fork versus Monte Vista. Monte Vista, I guess, was one of the higher ranked teams in 1A, North Fork being undefeated. So obviously they're right up there as well. But they go ahead and beat Monte Vista 21-0 behind the efforts of senior running back Mordecai White, who ran 25 times for 147 yards and two touchdowns. He automatically goes ahead and throws his name into the, the number of names here that we have for our 1A player of the week. But regardless, North Fork goes ahead and improves to 2-0 while dropping Monte Vista to 1-2. Uh, North Fork will be playing Olaf next week, which I believe should probably be another dub for them. But regardless, great game for them. And then this is probably the matchup of Friday night on the 1A level. You have Strasburg versus Lyman. And I believe this game was played in Lyman. This was their first home game of the season and now this Strasburg team isn't a team to look off you know they are a younger team going into this game at one and one they were a younger team for sure are still are a younger team but this is a team that wanted to go in and make a point against Lyman and show that they aren't just a pushover team and you know what Lyman went ahead and won 20 to 0 but I don't feel like that tells the entire story here I feel like Strasburg was really battling for a lot of this game you know they were out there and they were doing what they can against a Lyman team that is you know currently considered to still be the number one contender on the 1A level the team to beat on the 1A level and so it could have been a lot worse you know Strasburg could have lost the same way Meeker did last week you know but instead only lost 20 to 0 in this game though they did lose their starting quarterback Landon Martin uh you know he did message us that he got hurt in that game and unfortunately he is probably out for the rest of this regular season if not the entire season yeah uh, i'm not going to go ahead and disclose what that injury is but you know he will be starting his rehab this week i want to say i believe he actually gets his surgery as well this week if i'm not mistaken and so it'll be kind of a long process for him but he is hoping that his strasburg uh boys over there you know kind of pull through and give him another opportunity to play this year but if he does come back it'll probably be during the play playoffs uh that's the best case scenario right now and so whenever you lose your quarterback that's just kind of a big deal you know that just sucks you know um and so it's no surprise that they did end up losing this game and despite you know them only losing 20 to 0 it could have been a lot worse so there you go but let me talk about some of these alignment players that really stepped up and contributed you know offensively we know what they do they run the ball a lot uh, that's that's just who they are you know they're gonna run the ball a lot against you and that's what they did you know jeremiah leaper had 19 rushes for 149 yards no touchdowns and then you have trey hines here as well contributing seven carries uh 55 yards Gabe Schubarth, he had nine carries, 42 yards, and a touchdown as well. And then receiving-wise, Brady Rockwell, he had a touchdown. And so let me go ahead and talk about their defense because I feel like the defense should have a little bit more credit here. They did a lot of the heavy lifting, I would say, shutting down this Strasburg offense. You know, this was an offense that uh, only had, like, roughly... A hundred or so yards of offense, roughly. 
and obviously no touchdowns. And so let me talk about some of the guys that really contributed here on the defensive side of the ball. Number one, you got Kai Bandy, the senior. He had 17 total tackles. Gabe Schubarth was also in there with 10 total tackles. But one of the biggest contributors and somebody who is in the race for player of the week on the 1A level is Eli Wisensi, I want to say. He had eight total tackles on the defensive side of the ball but he also had three sacks which was a pretty big deal you know whenever you get a sack that automatically disrupts the offense and you know Landon Martin he was only able to complete one pass out of his seven attempts Eli had to have you know at least affected that in some way you know and then obviously when you're getting those tackles in the backfield you are pushing that offense farther and farther back and so Eli Wisensi the defensive tackle for Lyman is in our race to be our player of the week there's definitely a you know an argument for Kai Bandy as well uh he had an interception Trey Hines also had an interception as well but I'm going to go ahead and just take one person from each game. Um, that's just a rule that I'm personally going to make, at least, just to make it fair. After this game, Lyman does improve to 2-0, while Strasburg does drop to 1-2, uh, also suffering the loss of their starting quarterback. And so, it'll be interesting to see how Strasburg, you know, responds to this injury because it is kind of a big deal and what they do and you know it doesn't get easier because they go ahead and face off with Centauri who has a lot of offensive firepower uh you know just with Mason Clunch himself not even talking about the rest of the guys over there and so they'll have their hands full moving forward Lyman they go ahead and play Bennett next week all right, and then let me go ahead and talk about these two Saturday games. Both of them were blowouts. They weren't like close games by any means, but uh, I figured I'd talk about them anyways because there are some great performances in these games. Florence went ahead and beat Wild Central 46-0. Florence is now 3-0, heading to a fun matchup versus Holyoke that you should be looking out for, you know, while dropping Wild Central to a rare 1-1-1 start. You know, losing one game, winning one game, and tying one game. And so, that's really interesting, honestly. You don't see that every day. You really don't. But regardless, Florence won 46-0. A lot of that was because of their junior quarterback, Levi Paxton. You know, who only went 4-12 of for 72 passing yards and a passing touchdown. But he ran 13 times for 53 yards and 3 rushing touchdowns. Very key in this Florence dub and you know he is somebody who is automatically considered to be someone in the running for our 1A player of the week and then the other game I wanted to talk about real briefly here on this last Saturday Wiggins versus Olaf Wiggins wins 53 to 6 improving to 3 and 0 quarterback Cole Kerr does it again you know impresses with uh, you know, a, a pretty good stat line as he always does. These last three weeks, I would say there are definitely arguments for him to be player of the week each week, at least on the 1A level. But he did throw 7 for 9, went 7 for 9, sorry, and then threw for 101 passing yards and two passing touchdowns while also running five times for 78 rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns. Kolker continuing to prove that he is a force 
to be reckoned with on the 1A level. It will be interesting to see how this Wiggins team continues to respond as the season goes on. But we're all here for it. Cole Kerr right now is one of the best statistical quarterbacks in the state of Colorado, not just on the 1A level, but on every level, having thrown multiple touchdowns and running in multiple touchdowns every week so far this season. So we'll just have to see how that goes. But with that being said, that kind of wraps up all the major games, at least in our eyes on the 1A level. Let's go ahead and talk 2A football here. All right, so 2A football, week three. Don't have a whole ton of games here. Actually, only have four that I really wanted to talk about. A lot of the other games that happened went as expected, you know. And so let me go ahead and get this started off with a Thursday night matchup. We have Severance versus Platte Valley. Both of these teams, in my eyes, are pretty underrated teams, you know. These are teams that are classic, and I mean classic, uh, trap games for a lot of the contending teams on the 2A level. They're quality squads. You know, but Severance would go ahead and beat Platte Valley in a close one, 17 to 14, as they improve to 3 and 0, and drops Platte Valley to 1 and 1. A lot of that success for Severance came um, as a result of Caden Donovan having a very good game. You know, he had two receptions for 109 receiving yards and a touchdown, while also grabbing an interception. On the other side of the football, fellow senior Reese Gazdick uh, actually got another interception as well. Uh, the other interception in this game. So Severance, they did get two interceptions in this game uh, because of those two seniors. But also, they kind of dominated the line of scrimmage, racking up six sacks. Mason Campbell, a freshman, had two. Uh, Dom Butts, a junior, he had one and a half. Hayden Stokes, he had the other half of that sack. And then Braden, or sorry, Brady Varney, a sophomore, had two sacks. And so this was very much, very much a defensive showdown between Severance and Platte Valley. Uh, Severance, you know, they just played better defense at the end of the day and go ahead and improve to 3-0 on the season. They will be playing Brush next week. While Platte Valley goes 1-1, one one, they have a showdown with Eden next Saturday. So, big matchup there. Let me go ahead and go to the Friday game. I was able to attend this football game here. And that is Harrison versus TCA. Now, Harrison, they've been struggling a lot. They've actually struggled more than I anticipated this, se this season than I thought. And so... I came in with the expectation that TCA would go ahead and blow them out, which is what they did. They went ahead and beat Harrison 49-0. You had uh, pretty much a sold-out crowd on the home side. There were a lot of people there, barely any seats, you know, uh, available. And so it was a pretty big crowd. You love to see it. Uh, TCA really came out for uh, this matchup here against Harrison. And I'm not going to lie, Harrison, they had a couple, you know, flashes here and there. Their interior defensive linemen, you know, that's Jesse Weber, Mikey Norris, all those cats. They played a very good game in my opinion, but it became... <sighs> It became painfully obvious that that was really all they had, you know, 
on this Harrison team. That was probably the lone bright spot on this team. Because this these interior defensive linemen were getting a lot of good pushes. They were getting pressure on the quarterback. They were making it hard for TCA to run it up the middle. You know, TCA really just, they, they struggled at times to run it up the middle. Despite having a D1 back in Cade Palmer. Plus a whole bunch of other weapons here and there you know you got Aaron Johnson uh Chase Keller Segovia you know but they just couldn't run it up the middle they just struggled with that and so TCA they kind of had to adapt to the way Harrison was playing and it wasn't that hard to adapt to be completely honest with you um you know Kate Palmer he did do his thing 118 rushing yards touchdown on 13 carries he did his thing as always he's always going to score at least one touchdown in these games but i think the bigger the bigger story was the other guys on this team specifically the quarterback sam giles uh he did his thing man only went four of nine you know also threw a pick but he went four of nine for 92 yards and three touchdowns in my opinion, watching this game, his performance definitely opened up the rest of the offense because this was a defense that, you know, if you kept running it up the middle, they're going to keep stopping you. They're going to keep hitting you. And, you know, they kind of had a slower start at the big at the beginning, you know, to be completely honest with you. But Sam opened it up with three touchdowns. My favorite play from Sam was when the pocket completely collapsed like i watched it live you know their interior lineman just got blasted you know jesse weber and all them boys they just threw them uh, into the ground and forced sam to roll out to his right you know and so sam he did roll out to his right and then he threw a perfect touch pass to his wide receiver chase keller it was right in the bread basket wasn't bad defense or anything sam just made a perfect throw and he found him in the end zone for a 35-yard touchdown throw. Easily one of my favorite throws that he made. He also threw two other touchdown passes that, you know, forced this Harrison defense to not completely sell out on the run, you know. And so he just did a very good job there. In my opinion, he is the key to this TCA team's success moving forward. He needs to play at a high level to beat out contenders, you know. And I'm not going to lie, there were some passes that he did miss. Uh, some of the same throws he did miss in that state game. I'm talking a couple easy dump-offs and throws that you really shouldn't be missing at all, you know. You shouldn't be missing any passes to the flats or screen passes at that. I'm just going to go ahead and nitpick there. Definitely a little bit concerning. There were more than a couple. Uh, you know, he only threw nine passes, so it couldn't have been that many. But there were definitely a couple there that I was like, that's, come on, that's a gimme throw. But made the passes when they mattered. That's what I like to see. I'm very excited for this TCA team. You know, they really showed out in this game against Harrison and showed that they still are one of the top contenders on the 2A level let me go ahead and talk about some of the other guys on this tca team before i move on though uh i mentioned aaron johnson he has kind of emerged as a weapon at least in my eyes uh 22 yards on one carry for a touchdown also caught two passes for 53 yards and a touchdown he's somebody when you put him next to uh, a matt segovia type he's gonna be a problem you know he has some speed to him athleticism to him he's somebody who really turns up uh for harrison jesse weber I already mentioned him, but, you know, he did not disappoint. 
sadly though i mean you can't do you can't do it all by yourself you know eventually this harrison defense just got worn down you know after tca went up by like 21 28 35 i forgot what it was exactly they just kind of kept running the ball you know and we're just relying on their line relying on Cade palmer and said hey you know we're gonna keep running it until you can't stop us and we're just gonna uh out punch you at this point you know we're just gonna out physical you at this point until you're tired and when i did leave at halftime i want to say it was it was 35 to 0 you know my rule usually is like hey if it's like 35 to 0 or 42 to 0 by halftime I'm, I'm pretty much out of there, you know, I got other games that I want to go ahead and attend and check out, and so that's, uh, that's what I did, well, didn't check out any other games in person after that, but I did leave after they're up 35-0, to once again, TCA beats Harrison 49-0, to their quarterback, Sam, he is in the running for the 2A player of the week, and by the way, I will be doing my player of the week, um, I guess announcements at the end of this podcast all at once just because it'll be easier that way eden had a showdown with elizabeth i believe both of these teams were undefeated at this point you know eden 1-0 um elizabeth 2-0 and so going into this game it was going to be really interesting to see how eden stacked up having just completely destroyed sterling the previous week 63 to 0 in a statement dub but they go ahead and make another statement and beat elizabeth 31 to 7 you know this they they went ahead and surrendered their first points of the season but they knocked out undefeated elizabeth um who is now two and one while eden goes goes ahead and dominates their way to a strong two and oh record a resounding 2-0 record if I may add the running back Ethan Flores ran for 160 yards and a touchdown on 24 carries junior running back slash linebacker Ryder True actually got four carries on 23 rushing yards and scored two rushing touchdowns as well for Eden their defense dominating once again uh junior trent salberg he got two interceptions for eden ryan dirksen and morgan trippet continue their dominance combining for five tackles for losses as well eden continues to roll showing that they are still contender just like tca and you know i'm at the point where i'm looking forward to a potential tca versus eden uh matchup i think that would be the matchup to look out for moving forward probably in the playoffs well it will be in the playoffs because they're not scheduled to play in the regular season but trent salberg he is in the running for player of the week with his two interceptions for eden and lastly the last two a game that i'm going to talk about manitou springs versus salida now manitou springs has been struggling um this past week actually they went ahead and replaced their quarterback uh, nate gensel who is a sophomore for a senior he is probably their best athlete on the team tate christian and so this was tate's first game at quarterback and it happens to be their homecoming game and you know manatee springs hasn't won a homecoming game in quite a while actually obviously last year they didn't have one because they played in the spring and whatnot and so there you go but even before then they haven't won a homecoming game in kind of a minute but here's how it went down 
Manitou Springs beat Salida 10-6 in a very exciting way. And, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and say what happened. Ethan Bourne, a wide receiver slash tight end, went ahead and caught the game-winning touchdown with 1.9 seconds left to win it for Manitou Springs in a thriller. You know, he did actually catch a pass um, just previous to that touchdown pass that he did catch, uh, but the refs went ahead and called him out of bounds, which some said was kind of a, uh, you know, it was a little bit of a controversial call, but at the end it didn't matter. You know, Manitou Springs finds a way to get it done on a game-winning touchdown caught by Ethan Bourne. And with that, Ethan Bourne is automatically in consideration for Player of the Week on the 2A level. And so that'll wrap up our 2A matchups for Week 3. Let's go ahead and talk about the 3A matchups here. Alright, so Week 3. 3A, we have four games I wanted to talk about here real quick. Uh, Number one, let me go ahead and talk about the lone Thursday night game that we're going to talk about. This is the game that I actually went out to, and it was Mead versus Discovery Canyon at DCC. And, you know, right off the bat, this is what I know. I have people inside of DCC, and I can confirm that Mead was a team that DCC was afraid to play. You know, right off the bat, there was a lot of talk about them not being confident. Um, There's a lot of talk about them automatically feeling like they're going to lose this game. And so that's not, that's definitely not the attitude you want to take playing Mead. When you play a team like Mead, you got to have the attitude like, yo, we got to play whoever football, you know, whoever's in front of us, we finna hit. And it's going to be that type of game. You know, it's going to be a physical type of game. You can't come into a game afraid to play Mead. And that showed in this game. DCC was afraid to play Mead. And you know what? To start off the game, here's what happened. Gavin Garrettson, their quarterback, found Corby Teku open down the field for about a 40-yard gain. And, you know, I'm going to go ahead and nitpick here. Gavin Garrettson definitely threw this one short, uh, kind of by a lot. Like, Corby had to, like, stop running almost completely and then, you know, turn back just a little bit to catch the ball. And, you know, it was a 40-yard gain, but it would have been a touchdown if it was thrown either on time or with a little bit more juice on it. But, you know, it didn't matter because Corby would end up pounding it in for a touchdown later in that drive, you know, showing off his physicality. And, you know, DCC, defensively, they didn't play ball. I'm just going to say that. Obviously, they did not play well at all. Um, They did lose this game 50-7. to Just going to throw it out throw that out there Mead won 50 to 7 against them but on offense there are some solid drives you know using a combination of screens runs curl routes you know they were kind of opening up the playbook but it was it was definitely a limited offense you know they had a solid couple of drives but it just wasn't going to be enough to beat out a physical Mead team that's gonna hit you that's gonna pass rush that's gonna play really good defense against you physical defense against you and you know when you run a very limited offense that's not gonna be enough against a team like Mead that wants to hit you know and have a lot of big hitters on their team and so because of that DCC they just couldn't you know they just couldn't finish drives is really what it came down to uh Mead on the other hand they were rolling you know they would eventually score a touchdown uh a Sean Medlock rushing touchdown which was a very physical one you know I think he ran over a dude to get in there and then to open the second quarter Elijah Senna for Mead he would 
oh my god he would rip off a 70 yard rushing touchdown showing off that hey Meade isn't all physicality and you know strength and all that you know they got some skill and some speed to them and Elijah he's one of those guys that kind of gives them that fold in their offense that speed fold that allows them to run these kind of sweeps and so he take him taking it 70 yards to the house showed that mead has a lot of weapons as well eventually logan moore for dcc would run it in for the only touchdown of the day um and at that point you know it was 21 to 7 which wasn't bad at all you know it's still a two score game at this point you know if uh dcc had a couple offensive drives going here it probably would have been a little bit more closer than 21 to 7 in the second quarter but the second quarter proved to be a very long quarter for DCC, but a very successful one for Meade. And so what would happen right after DCC scored um, was that Corby Teku, he responded with a 50-yard touchdown reception from Gavin Garrett's and their quarterback. Once again, the ball was slightly underthrown, I would say, but not too bad. Corby was still able to make a play. He didn't have to stop completely. And, you know, on the way to making uh, this touchdown, he did throw off a defender uh, going into the end zone. It was kind of a nasty hit that he gave him and then walked into the end zone, making it 28 or 20. It might have not been 28. I think it might have been 27 to 7. I think they missed an extra point or something like that. Um, but regardless, though, huge touchdown to respond and to kind of slowly start putting away dcc at this point they're getting scared of tackling and you could tell because on the last score of this quarter corby Teku did it once again and you know in this run that corby had it was about a 50 to 60 yard touchdown run um a derrick henry-esque touchdown run if i may say here where he threw a nasty stiff arm at a DB who, you know, wasn't, I mean, it wasn't like he was flying at him to tackle him either. The DB was definitely a little hesitant. You know, you could see him flinch from about 10 yards away before he finally tried to come up to tackle Corby. But Corby would throw a nasty stiff arm, completely pummeling the corner. And I don't even know his name. And I'm not, even if I did, I wouldn't say it on this podcast because I feel like even that is disrespectful. But he threw the kid into the ground. You know, and then rumbled his way 50 yards for a touchdown, making it a 34 to 7 game where Meade was leading. You know, and at the end of the day, Meade just couldn't, or sorry, DCC just couldn't match Meade's power and physicality. Meade is a team to be reckoned with. They showed that they are a team that is not afraid of anyone. You know, even a DCC team who was 2 0 coming into this game, so it wasn't like they were that much worse of a team. Meade was 1 0. Um, having not played a game last week. And so kind of a disappointing uh, performance by DCC, I would say, but a dominating one for sure by Meade. Corby Teku ended the game with 117 rushing yards, two touchdowns on only seven carries while catching two passes for 81 yards and one touchdown. Automatically throws his name in there in contention for player of the week on the 3A level. You know, he just played an excellent game here. And, you know, really really exemplified Mead football you know so fantastic game Mead is a team to look out for just like we thought but let me talk about some of these other games here three other games here that happened on Friday uh Conifer played Glenwood Springs going into this game both teams were 2-0 
going into this game and were proving themselves as pretty solid teams on the 3A level, you know. Um, but what happened is that Glenwood Springs would barely eke it out 35 227 you know conifer they had a lot of uh you know they they had a lot going for them i would say the quarterback zach zalpha he threw for 168 yards three touchdowns only one interception uh the running back i want to say it's gage womack he ran for 58 yards and a touchdown as well and so you know, with everything being said, it was a pretty close game. Glenwood Springs still hasn't uploaded their stats, so unfortunately, I don't have uh, too much to talk about there. But Glenwood Springs goes ahead and improves to so 3-0, drops Conifer to 2-1. Glenwood Springs has a showdown with Basalt next week, who's also 3-0. You know, Basalt still being a 2A team, but being one of the more, I would say, competitive 2A teams of that. So that's what happened. Uh, you know, Glenwood Springs... Pulling out a close one against a very quality Conifer team. And then you have Roosevelt against Pueblo County. Ooh, man. Look, <laughs> I, I can't talk about the Mead game without talking about the Roosevelt game. Roosevelt had a blowout of their own, beating Pueblo County 49-0, dominating their way to a 2-0 start. Brock Saya for Roosevelt went a dominating, at least in my opinion, a dominating 11 for 14 for 229 yards and three touchdowns. While Tucker Peterson, one of the top athletes in the state and another guy in the running for player of the week, uh, caught six passes uh, for 118 yards and two touchdowns. He also snagged two interceptions as well as Roosevelt goes ahead and blows out Pueblo County. So Roosevelt is showing that they're just as strong as Meade moving forward and so those are two teams that we got to look out for uh moving forward into this 2021 football season but that'll wrap up the 3a uh, level here not too many teams i wanted to really talk about uh, a lot kind of a lot of predictable games on this level to be completely honest with you but last matchup that i want to talk about on the 3a level is durango versus montrose both teams were undefeated going into this game and montrose won 39 to 7. Durango kind of just falling flat on offense, you know. Uh, Montrose, they were going to start out the the, um, the the game, to be completely honest with you. By halftime, they're leading 21 to 7, which, you know, that's not a bad uh, deficit at all. You know, that's only a two touchdown game, a two score game for Durango here. But Durango just couldn't recover. And, you know, they weren't missing any players, at least not that I could see. Uh, but Montrose, they just kind of came to play. And, you know, Ethan Hartman, he actually returned a kick for a touchdown, which was kind of the dagger in the third quarter with 11 minutes left. You know, that put up Montrose, I want to say 28 to 7. And, you know, Montrose is a 4A team, so it's not exactly, you know, like a bad loss for Durango. But uh, the way Durango responded was probably not how they intended to. And, you know, they only scored seven points. Losing 39-7. to So it'll be interesting to see where Durango goes from here. You know, they've really only played in blowouts. Both blowing out other teams and then going blown out themselves. So it's going to be interesting to see how they bounce back going into week four. Let's go ahead and move on to the 4A level where we have a whole bunch of teams to talk about. Alright, so a lot of great games in the 4A level actually. A lot of very competitive games. I would say, but let's go ahead and start Thursday. We have Fountain Fort Carson versus Chatfield. 
this is a game that we were really interested in. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't go, though. But Chatfield would end up beating Fountain Fort Carson 23-14. to uh, Chatfield actually exploded for 20 points in the fourth quarter while holding Fountain Fort Carson to zero points. Junior running back Mason Lowe went crazy for 84 rushing yards and one rushing touchdown on only seven carries while catching 118 yards and a touchdown on five receptions. So he was a huge part of that offensive explosion. Chatfield also played really good defense, notched five sacks, led by junior Sam Ayers and senior uh, Elijah Rodriguez, who had two sacks each. And then in addition, Mason Lowe and Brock Narva had two of the three interceptions that happened in this game. A very good defensive showing for Chatfield here. They improved to an impressive 3-0. and after being Longmont 49-43 and Bryden 43-20. And then obviously beating Fountain Fort Carson 23-14. While dropping Fountain Fort Carson to 2-1. and one. Mason Lowe, he is obviously in the running for our Player of the Week award on the 4 level. Doing a lot, really, actually for Chatfield. Beating Fountain Fort Carson. Obviously, I just read out his stats there. Uh, but Fountain Fort Carson, you know... A little bit of a disappointing game going into the fourth quarter like i said it was a 14-3 game they're winning you know but chatfield just went crazy for 20 points now you could blame the defense but i'm gonna go ahead and blame the offense man you can't make that many mistakes three interceptions is way too many one interception is probably understandable two is pushing it three is already way too many that's unacceptable also five sacks that's I mean, that's almost as inexcusable, to be completely honest with you. And honestly, these are some of the struggles that Cody and I talked about on our 4A preview. Uh, go ahead and check that out if you haven't yet. You know, Fountain Fort Carson, they're a talented team. They have defensive players. They have great DBs, some good, uh, a good linebacker over there as well. But, but what it ultimately came down to is the offense. Would this offense be able to compete and keep this team in games? Because, you know, you can have as many defensive plays and great plays as you want here and there. But unless they're scoring, you need an offense that could score as well. And 14 points is not enough to beat a tough Chatfield team who got into a shootout with Longmont. Arguably one of the best offensive teams in the entire state, you know. Um, you can't do that. 14 points is just not going to be enough. Especially with that many mistakes. Uh, you kind of left a lot on the field there, uh, Fountain Fort Carson. Not, you know, not your entire team. I would say mostly your offense, and so we'll see if Fountain Fort Carson could bounce back next week. They're still in a good spot. You know, Chatfield, that's a, I mean, there's no such thing as a good loss, but as far as rankings go, that's a good loss. You know, you could kind of live with that, but uh, unfortunately, Fountain Fort Carson loses to Chatfield 23-14. to Chatfield proving that they're a team to be reckoned with at 3-0, though. Just, uh... Throwing that out there, that might be a game that uh, we might have to consider going to. Some Chatfield games, that is. So, there you go. Uh, one other Thursday matchup that I want to mention real briefly here. Silver Creek versus Mitchell. Uh, <laughs> Silver Creek goes ahead and beats them 58-0. to There really isn't no surprises here. I just wanted to make sure I said that. Because Silver Creek is also undefeated at 3-0 as well. As they roll into a very big matchup versus Skyline that I'll actually be at uh, this Thursday. So, 
uh, keep an eye out on that. And then speaking of Skyline, that's the first game I want to talk about on Friday on the 4A level. We had an excellent matchup between two undefeated teams, you know, granted at 2-0, but still undefeated regardless between Golden and Skyline. Golden would end up winning 33-21, remaining undefeated, uh, improving to 3-0, but they did score 21 unanswered points in the second half of this game, completely shutting down Skyline as well, allowing nothing in the second half. So Golden was clicking, you know, to get this thing going. Skyline, uh, once again, well, not once again, but on the 4A level, blowing another lead here. Regardless, Skyline is still a talented team. You know, they're going to have their hands full with Silver Creek this week, but uh, they're still a good team. You know, they put up a good fight. They just couldn't finish. They just couldn't quite finish it at the end. Golden, on on the other hand, showing that they're a very strong team, or at least a stronger team than we thought uh, going into this season. Their quarterback, their junior quarterback, Giselle Riley, he actually won 12 of 20 for 215 passing yards and five passing touchdowns. Uh, Connected with his receiver, Josh Torrey, six times for 140 receiving yards and three touchdowns as well. Just wanted to throw that out there. And, you know, Giselle Riley, I was looking at his film, uh, looking at that game film specifically. He had some some really nice touch passes, actually, throughout the game. Almost every single touchdown was a touch pass, you know, uh, where he just fitted in between defenders and showed that, you know, he's an accurate passer. And so really excited for Golden. You know, Golden is is another team, just like Chatfield, that, you know, we didn't think would do as well as they are doing now. And, you know, um, that's a a team that we might want to check out sometime. But fantastic game by Giselle Riley, obviously. I mean, he has to be, right? He's in our he's in contention for player of the week uh, on the 4A level. He's in that conversation for sure. You know, and then uh, I just wanted to throw this out there as well. Skyline's Logan Miller also ran 18 times for 181 rushing yards while throwing two touchdowns, um, one interception for 70 yards. So he did have a bad game did show that he is a little bit of a dual threat so that's something to definitely look out for this next week as they play silver creek once again golden beats skyline 33 to 21 golden is 3 and 0 skyline is 2 and 1 right now another game i want to talk about on the four level is erie versus bear creek erie beats bear creek um this was a matchup of undefeated teams as well but erie would pull out this dub 39 to 21 Bear Creek's quarterback, in my opinion, Jaden Minter made way too many mistakes for this team to win this game. Did throw two touchdowns for and 200 yards as well, but he also threw th- four interceptions. Ooh, whenever you throw four interceptions, that's not a likely game that you could win. And so, uh, hopefully he cleans that up moving forward. But Erie is now 2-0, I want to say, and then Bear Creek is 2-1 right now. Sorry, Erie is 3-0. Bear Creek is still 2-1. So, there you go. Uh, another matchup I want to mention real briefly here. Air Academy beats Palmer 53-0. Sam Beers, he throws his name into contention for Player of the Week here. Running for 291 rushing yards and 6 touchdowns on only 15 carries. Uh, powering Air Academy to actually a 3-0 start here. So, good for them. Denver South beats Broomfield here. They win a shootout, 
48 to 40 and Broomfield drops their third straight game and I'm just going to go ahead and say it. They're in a bad situation. We will, we will. It's an emergency. You know, you are 0-3 right now. This is a team that we picked as one of our contenders, along with Vista Ridge and Dakota Ridge as well. Now they are 0-3. These three, these last three games that Cody and I talked about, we did talk about, you know, how it could be, you know, 2-1 at the worst, right, for Broomfield. Instead, they're now 0-3. And they got to figure it out right now. Or they're not even going to make the playoffs. Um, and that's a very real reality right now. And, you know, it's not that Broomfield played a horrible like game altogether. Offense played great. Cola Crew did his thing. 23 of 33. 323 yards. Also threw two touchdowns. He had a high completion rating there. You know, running the ball. Caden um, Quintana. I want to say he's a junior. He ran 16 times for 129 yards and one touchdown. Also, by the way, Cola Crew ran 17 times for 78 rushing yards and two touchdowns. And uh, in total, you know, you had 323 passing yards, 263 rushing yards, um, about six touchdowns in between. And you still lost, you know. Denver South, obviously, you got to give them credit. Their quarterback, Joseph Capra, uh, he's a junior. He completed 11 of his uh, 16 passes for three touchdowns on the ground. He also contributed 56 rushing yards. But it was Chevelle Early, who you already know is in the running for our Player of the Week um, award here. He ran for 169 rushing yards uh, for and three rushing touchdowns as well on 19 attempts. And then at receiver, Rashad Caldwell, he's a junior. He's probably somebody that I could throw into the mix, but I, I'm not going to do it this time. But he caught eight balls for 218 receiving yards and three touchdowns. Whoever was covering him, you screwed up your assignment. And I'm also looking at the safety, Miles Dondelinger. Where were you at, bro? This guy caught 200. He caught eight passes for 218 yards. I don't know. Not a great look. Broomfield's defense, they need to step it up. And honestly, just this team altogether needs to step it up. I feel like these last couple weeks, you know, the offense and defense haven't been clicking at the same time. And when one clicks, the other one doesn't exactly do their job. And so Broomfield is now staring at an 0-3 start right now. And this was the easy part of their schedule supposedly you know and um let me just go over their last couple games against golden lost 29 to 22 um versus longmont you know defense exactly they didn't exactly didn't play well but offense they probably could have capitalized a little bit more here they lost that one 38 to 29 and then you have this one against denver south losing 40 to 48 now they haven't lost a game by more than two scores keep that in mind all these games have been close here but you got to look at their schedule moving forward here. You know, they play Monarch next week. I would say that's a game that they should win. Because after that, they play Loveland. You know, that's a team that's, I want I want to say 2-1 right now. They play Windsor, another 2-1 team. Silver Creek right now is 3-0. Now they play Brighton, who just got beat by Falcon. And I feel like Broomfield is better than Falcon. So that's probably a game you should win. But I don't know. We'll see. And then after that, they play Erie, who is undefeated as well. Uh, and then, you know, end the season with Greeley West, which they should win. 
you know but right now broomfield i mean i'm looking at this right now you got one two three four five six seven games left if they lose another game or even if they lose two games because it's completely you know realistic that they drop two of these games I'm, I'm looking at loveland windsor silver creek erie those are four games i could see them splitting that those four matchups two and two you know pretty easily here if they lose two more games then they're gonna have to rely on a five and five record to make the playoffs and that there's no guarantees man that's not a winning record you know they might get some help from the rpi because of uh their strength of schedule for sure i could see that for sure happening and they could sneak in there but I, I would feel better about this Broomfield team if they went in with a winning, winning record. Regardless, though, you got to wake up. 0-3 is unacceptable, especially for a team with this much talent there. You know, you got to get on the same page, too. Everyone has to play good. You know, you can't just have a good offense. You can't just have a good defense. That will not be enough to win more than one playoff game in these 4A playoffs this year. You got to be a complete team. And so, Broomfield, hopefully, you know, this is a wake-up call going 0-3. It has to be because if they lose two more games, they're out of it. This game against Monarch, I would say, is a must-win, actually. I'm going to go ahead and say that. This game versus Monarch, they need to win or they're not going to make the playoffs. Uh, or, or they might have a harder chance of making the playoffs. How about that? Because if they lose against Monarch, shoot, now you got one more game that you could possibly lose to eventually end 5-5, five and five, and you have those four teams that I just listed off. Two of those teams are undefeated right now, by the way, you know, that they got to face off with. And so, chances, I don't know. Their chances aren't looking great right now. You know, their odds aren't looking great right now, but maybe this is where they want to be, you know, being that underdog team and if it's not where they want to be well they better figure it out or you're not even going to get into the dance if they could get into the dance though you know the dance being the playoffs they could be a sleeper dangerous team an underdog team with a chip on their shoulder now they probably won't have home field advantage a whole ton but still though so we're just going to have to see. We're going to have to see if Broomfield could bounce back. Denver South does improve to 2-1, though, having a pretty solid start to their season. Broomfield, 0-3. Uh-oh. You got to get going now, Broomfield. So we're going to be rooting for y'all moving forward, and uh, you know we'll, we'll see what happens. But speaking of one of the teams that they will be playing, uh, we got Longmont versus Windsor. Windsor ends up beating Longmont 56-22. Keegan Patterson... Look, he is the life of this Longmont team. This man has been doing everything in his power to win games for Longmont by getting to shootouts. Unfortunately, they just kind of ran out of juice offensively against a Windsor team that is always going to be good defensively, and they're going to grind out the game against you. They're going to run the ball against you and be physical. And so when they get a lead, they don't easily let go. And Keegan Patterson in this game... You know, he threw three interceptions. You know, those are three opportunities for Windsor to get up. And you can't have that playing against a Windsor team. Um, but Windsor, you know, they're a good team, though. So I'm, I don't exactly blame them. Them as in Longmont. I mean, I don't blame Longmont for losing to them. But Windsor does improve to 2-1. and one. 
you know, and they're in a pretty good spot. They'll be facing Loveland, actually, this Friday. That'll be a very fun game, a very physical game. You know, who's, um, you know, Loveland, they're also 2-1 after losing to Ralston Valley 25-6. to So that'll be a game to look out for sure going into this next week here. Longmont, though, <laughs> they face off against undefeated Erie, you know, who's 3-0. We just talked about them, and so... Uh, that's kind of tough. But before I move on, let me talk about some of the stats here. Keegan Patterson did throw for 246 passing yards and a touchdown. Ran the ball 16 times for 92 yards and two touchdowns. So, you know, decent stats there. Um, I mean, it could be argued whether these stats are actually important, whether they're done in garbage time or, time or not. You know, but it is what it is. Stats are stats. So there you go. Longmont still has some things going for them. Uh, putting up a solid 22 points against a Windsor team. But like I said, way too many mistakes. You cannot commit that many mistakes and beat Windsor. Just going to say that. Uh, Windsor running back, though. Dax Polka shined in this game. Ran 17 times for 94 yards and for touchdowns. His name is in the mix for player of the week obviously you know um running for four touchdowns and this is following a performance where he ran 22 times for 178 yards and three touchdowns against fossil ridge and before that you know he ran 23 times for 119 yards against a vista ridge back uh back a couple weeks ago so you know he's he's a back to to keep an eye out so we're just gonna have to see but this was a pretty good matchup like i said if you're Longmont, you can't make this many mistakes against a team like Windsor. Maybe against some other teams, you could kind of get away with it in a shootout, you know, where teams aren't, like, draining the clock constantly. But uh, against Windsor, there's no way. So we'll just have to see. It'll be a really interesting matchup um, this, this next week against Erie. So we'll just have to see about that. Wanted to mention these next couple games here. Not exactly the closest games, but I, I figured I'd mention them anyways. Dakota Ridge versus the defending champs, Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> Dakota Ridge smacked Thomas Jefferson 49-7. Uh, like I predicted, Cody thought this would be a closer game. I definitely didn't think it'd be that close a game, but they beat them in a dominating win. 49-7. Senior quarterback Adam Graves went 10-17 for 17 for 151 yards and three passing touchdowns. But running back Noah Triplett, the senior here, and you know, we predicted this earlier in the season that he was going to have a great game. He has an excellent game running 13 times for 125 yards uh, and three rushing touchdowns while catching two passes for 42 yards and a receiving touchdown. Dakota Ridge is rolling. They will be playing Rampart this week. Uh, Cody and I will be at this game on Friday. And so that'll be an opportunity to, to see this Dakota Ridge team live as they are rolling and they are currently undefeated right now. Uh, moving forward, you have Palmer Ridge versus Lewis Palmer. This was a rivalry game or, well, I shouldn't say was a rivalry game. I mean, like, it's probably going to continue to be a rivalry, but my in my eyes, it's, it's, it's just not. You know, Palmer Ridge is just going to be the better team over Lewis Palmer. And I get it. You know, they're kind of right next to each other. They're in the same school district and whatnot. But uh, this, this just isn't a rivalry game to be. And, you know, Palmer Ridge, they beat Lewis Palmer 49-0 for, like, the third or fourth straight year. Something crazy like that. And, you know, no surprises here, even though 
Palmer Ridge, they are kind of a younger team, but they do beat Lewis Palmer pretty convincingly. Sophomore quarterback Derek Castor threw for 123 yards and two touchdowns on 6 of 10 passing. Uh, but it was the Palmer Ridge running back, actually, Gator Robinson, who shined for them, I would say. He ran for 120 yards and two touchdowns on only eight carries. So there you go. Palmer Ridge dominates Lewis Palmer as expected. Moving forward, we have another rivalry game here, Northridge for Greeley West to see who still runs Greeley after Northridge beat Greeley Central last week. Well, surprise, surprise, Northridge still runs Greeley as they take care of Greeley West 21-7. Shout out to our boy Eli Wolf, by the way. Um, he's somebody that's been following this podcast for a minute. Huge fan of the pod, you know, just wanted to give him a huge shout out there. But Northridge does sweep the Greeley teams basically, at least the major ones in Central and West. And um, goes ahead and beats Greeley West 21-7 in a pretty dominating win. I know it's only 21-7, but I feel like it's not as close of a game as it appeared, so... There you go. And then the last Friday game I'm going to talk about here. Uh, we have Falcon versus Bryden. Falcon actually gets a huge dub over Bryden and improves to 2-1. and one Ahead of their showdown with Vista Ridge this week. That Cody and I will actually go to on Friday. After the, uh, after the Dakota Ridge Rampart game. We'll be driving straight to the Falcon Vista Ridge game. So we'll be there. You know, and um, this is... It's going to be an interesting matchup. But Falcon... Didn't actually think they could... Well, I don't know. I, if they were to beat Bryden, I felt like they had to play a really good game. They played a really good game. Beat Bryden 28-19. This is a huge dub as they go on and improve to 2-1 and one after losing to Vista Peak, I want to say, last week. So, huge dub for them ahead of the rivalry matchup with Vista Ridge. Now, speaking of Vista Ridge, this was our game of the week. Vista Ridge versus Pine Creek. Both of these teams are undefeated. You know, you have Pine Creek, the dominant established powerhouse. You have Vista Ridge, the up-and-coming potential powerhouse, with the number one quarterback in the state of Colorado, Braden Dorman, uh, number nine quarterback in the entire country. And, you know, they also have a bunch of players like B.B. Hills, Justice Laulu, uh, all those cats over there, Dom Nichols as well. And you know what? This was a game that I was able to go to. Real quick before I jump into this game, though, Shout out to my guys at Team Full Gorilla. I'm talking about Coach John. He kind of established Team Full Gorilla. They are the most competitive 7-on-7 football team in the state of Colorado, actually. If you are a good player in Colorado, you at least get looked at by Team Full Gorilla. Uh, And if you are one of the best players, then you are picked up by Team Full Gorilla. But they compete against a lot of 7-on-7 teams in the offseason in other states. And so I was actually able to meet the founder of them uh, last week over in Pine Creek. Or actually, well, over at D20 Stadium at this Pine Creek game. You know, he's a great dude. Uh, Team Full Gorilla, they've supported the podcast all the way through. That's a team that, you know, a lot of kids here should aspire to be on or at least kids that are skill players I should say should aspire to be on because they do a lot of good things over there you know get their athletes looks for sure which is um which is more than could be said for a lot of high school coaches as a lot of tea was spilled but um 
whatever. So you have him, and then also shout out to Coach uh, Pacheco, uh, Dan Pacheco over there. I've been in contact with him. I actually covered a bunch of Pine Creek players in the offseason. They're all underclassmen. I'm talking about Cameron Cooper, Ramon Pacheco, Justice Nicholson. Those are the three he gave me. Those guys, uh, they actually contributed in this game here. And, you know, actually, before I talk about this Vista Ridge Pine Creek matchup, I feel like this is a good, um, I got to throw this game in here, you know. I know y'all are waiting for this matchup, but I also was able to attend the freshman slash JV game uh, for Vista Ridge and Pine Creek because I wanted to see that quarterback Cameron Cooper play. And man, did he look good in that game. Granted, you know, it was a JV freshman game, right? But he did throw like three first half passing touchdowns. Some of them were on touch. One of them was to Justice Nicholson, actually. I want to say it was an either an in or out route, something like that. But he found him in the end zone. Fantastic timing there. You know, there was also another touchdown where Cam Coop, you know, he was literally fading backwards. And he just threw an effortless touchdown into the end zone. Perfect throw. Cameron Cooper is a name that you gotta know, man. Um, he was electrifying in that game, and he really impressed me. Now, I saw some of his middle school film, but obviously, that's different from high school. Uh, I'm gonna have to do a breakdown on Cameron Cooper probably in this next offseason here, because he, he showed a lot. You know, he definitely showed a lot, so that's a name to look out for. So, there you go. But, the game that y'all have been waiting for, Vista Ridge versus Pine Creek, Gonna go ahead and, uh, you know, I'm just gonna go ahead and spoil it. Pine Creek beat Vista Ridge 42-20. to You know, Pine Creek played uh, just a great game, you know. Reestablishing their dominance here in the Springs as the best team in the Springs, if not one of the best teams in the Springs. You know, you could probably argue Palmer Ridge, but you know, also they're in Monument if you want to get technical there. But regardless, though, Pine Creek made a statement here, beating Vista Ridge 42 42- 20 josiah roy jojo roy uh by the way i did not know his name <laughs> he went by jojo because if he did then we would have been calling him that and we would have found him on instagram sooner but he put on a show for pine creek as a punishing runner and obviously he's their starting quarterback so he had a couple of touchdown throws here as well but he did a fantastic job for pine creek i'll talk more about him later let me talk about Braden dorman and vista ridge um look Braden Dorman, despite losing this game, is still the number one quarterback in the state. No question. No question. Um, also number nine quarterback in the country. I would say no question as well, you know. But this was a bad game for him. Just going to say it straight up. A hor- Borderline a horrible game for him, to be completely honest with you. You know, he struggled with two bad first quarter interceptions you know maybe you could argue that there's some miscommunication or i I don't know maybe but like the way i saw it there's just i I just couldn't justify it you know and y'all know me i try to justify interceptions when i can try to give the whole background but from the way it looked it just didn't look good the first interception i don't know if he was trying to like throw it in the ground or maybe if he got hit, like, I, I don't think he got hit, though, because I thought I was almost positive it was a pretty clean pocket. But he pretty much threw the ball directly into a linebacker, you know, who returned it and set Pine Creek up 
Pine Creek up on like the five or ten yard line, giving them like fantastic position, but giving Vista Ridge horrible position to be honest with you. I I just I don't know. I don't know what he was doing there, but he pretty much just threw it directly at the guy. Um, there weren't really any other receivers in the area, so <sighs> kind of tough, you know. The second pick. I, I want to say maybe he was trying to throw it away, but he ended up throwing the ball into the back of his own lineman's helmet, and the ball bounced around and bounced into the hands of a lineman or linebacker from Pine Creek. And, you know, they caught it again, and they were set up in the red zone again, you know. And so that that's bad. And both times, Pine Creek, uh, they went ahead and, and capitalized over those turnovers. They scored touchdowns on each of those plays easily, you know. Pretty sure both of them were rushing touchdowns, either by JoJo or somebody else. But they, you know, they definitely capitalized over those turnovers, which put Vista Ridge in a pretty quick hole, you know. And both of those interceptions were only in the first quarter. Actually, there was a third interception that should have been called, but... You know, the refs, uh, I don't know. I don't know if they made the exact right call there, but they called roughing the passer. And so that third interception was taken away in the first quarter. Regardless, though, these mistakes by Vista Ridge were self-inflicted. I, look, I could look at the film again, but just in the moment, I just didn't know where Braden Dorman was throwing the ball. You know, and there are just bad interceptions, like almost no way to justify them, honestly. Also, while I'm talking about interceptions as well, you know, Braden Dorman also throw a would-be fourth interception in the second half, but it was called back because of, I, I want to say it was pass interference on the defense. Uh, personally, I didn't see anything. Like, I don't know. I thought it was a pretty iffy call, but they called pass interference, and, you know, there you go. But he would have had four interceptions in this game. Instead, I want to say he only had like a touchdown and two interceptions in this game. And so the stats were a little misleading this game. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. In fact, the only offense that Vista Ridge was really getting was from BB Hills. I mean, they did have one rushing touchdown, you know, that was set up in the um, in the second quarter, I want to say, which was fine, but just wasn't going to be enough. You know, but B.B. Hills, he really stepped it up. And, you know, he's actually establishing himself as one of the best football players, period, in the state of Colorado. You know, he had a 100-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. He also snagged another uh, receiving touchdown where he, I mean, he didn't run a deep route or anything. He just ran a curl and then he took it like 60 yards to the house because he is that explosive. You know, Brandon B.B. Hills, he's that guy. He's that guy. You know, and I was talking to the Team 4 Gorilla guys, and they're all like, hey, if you want to win, put BB in. And I agree. You know, and BB Hills, he should have all the Power 5 offers, like, in the world right now, to be honest with you. Because he's just the best football player in Colorado. One of the best, you know. He can make a lot happen out of nothing. And honestly, if it wasn't for him, this game would have been different. Because going into halftime, I want to say this game couldn't have been more of a... More than a one-score game at that point. And most of it was because of B.B. Hills doing his thing. Also, side note that I want to add in here. You know, it got so bad to the point where the fans started yelling at the Pine Creek coaching staff. Don't kick it to him. Don't kick it to him. They were, they were hollering, you know, because almost every time B.B. touched the ball... He had like a 20 plus yard gain. When he was returning the ball, I think he must have had something crazy. Like he, 
Like, obviously, he had that 100-yard um, kickoff return touchdown. But other than that, he was, like, returning kicks for, like, 40 yards a pop at that point. You know, almost breaking some of these kicks, too. So, he was big time for them. He really stood out to me. He's somebody who's super underrated. Um, doesn't really have many offers. I want to say he has one or two major ones right now. But that's going to change here soon. But you could best believe that's going to change here soon. So, um, there you go. But going into the fourth quarter, Vista Ridge was down 14 points. They needed a touchdown. And so, they're driving, you know. And, man, I... Uh, Vista Ridge's second-to-last offensive drive was not a pretty one. I'm going to be honest. The refs were horrible. It was very obvious that we're, they were trying to keep Vista Ridge in this game. And to be honest with you, I'm just going to say this. I was rooting for Vista Ridge, too. You know, nothing against Pine Creek. I have all the love for... Um, well, I wouldn't say all the love for Pine Creek. But I have a lot of love for their young players over there. Cam Coop, Ramon, Justice. Uh, but honestly, as far as Pine Creek players go and... Some of like the fans that I've interacted with before this football game, I've always had a negative uh, view and perception of Pine Creek. That's just that's just where I'm at. You know, I just have a negative perception of them. I don't like them, or I didn't like them before this game. I should say, you know, um, but they were just horrible calls against Pine Creek. You know that I feel like just ah, they were very one-sided. You know. On their second to last drive, they did call two separate pass interference calls. Both of these calls were soft calls, no doubt about it. I personally didn't think they should have happened. I want to say they called another offsides call as well. Or maybe it was roughing the passer. Either way, there are three very bad calls that mounted for like 30 or 40 yards of offense for uh, Vista Ridge, basically. And it came down to Pine Creek having a basically a showdown with Vista Ridge on the 12-yard line. Vista Ridge was 12 yards away from scoring and making it a one-score game late in the fourth quarter. I believe there was about 9 or 10 minutes left. And it came down to fourth down, you know, and I, I think to start out, it was a fourth and short, maybe fourth and one, fourth and two. They chose to run the ball, which isn't the worst idea but if you have a 6-5 quarterback, put the ball in his hands. I And it's the fourth quarter. Put the ball in Braden Dorman's hands. I do not care if he threw this many interceptions here or there, you know. Trust your quarterback. He's talented for a reason. And this is where I disagreed with Vistaridge. Um, and I'll, I have more to talk about Vistaridge's coaching staff actually here soon here. But this is just where I disagreed with him. Instead of giving the ball to Braden Dorman and allowing him to either run it or throw it or whatever... They gave it to the running back, and uh, he gets stuffed. And then for some reason, I, I don't know what the call is because I didn't hear it. Uh, I actually don't even know if they announced it to the crowd. Uh, but they had another chance on fourth down. So not one, but two fourth down chances. you think they would figure something out from the, you know, from the first fourth down try they had just like two seconds earlier. But instead, they run the exact same play, and they get stuffed the exact same way with nine minutes left. And I'm just going to be real. That's a horrible play calling. You got to put it in your quarterback's hands. I don't know how you could deny that. Not once, but twice. Twice with the game on the line. Uh, and that's just horrible coaching in my opinion. I, I can't defend that. I just can't. And I want to. 
because I like Vista Ridge and their players and what they have going on, but I can't, you know, and I feel like that's common sense. Uh, oh, well, you know, what happened after that? Jojo Roy and Pine Creek would drain the clock for almost eight minutes and 30 seconds, basically, you know, just draining the clock, pounding the ball against a Vista Ridge defense that was on the field way too many times, two of those times because of those two bad turnovers, mind you, you know, and so at this point, this Vista Ridge defense was exhausted, they just were, also Pine Creek was running the ball pretty well in the third quarter as well, and so whenever you run the ball well, I mean, that's, that's a physical game, and so that's basically how the game ended, you know, Pine Creek they did everything they were supposed to do. They capitalized after every single turnover. Whenever they got the ball, they scored whenever possible. In the fourth quarter, they took up almost eight minutes of, like, the game clock, which is insane, you know? I don't know how you do that as Vista Ridge. And, you know, they made Vista Ridge pay for stupid play calling and uh, for their mistakes, you know? And I'm just going to keep going on here, you know? Vista Ridge didn't exactly call a great game either, you know? The kind of plays they were calling were very predictable, which is why, you know, Braden Dorman struggled. They were a couple of times, I would say after those first quarter interceptions, the next two potential interceptions weren't exactly his fault. I feel like, you know, Pine Creek, they knew those plays were coming, and so they were just sitting on them. They were sitting on that little post route that they loved to throw. They were sitting on some curls on the little in route as well. You know, they didn't have a crazy uh play calling in my opinion you know it just wasn't super diverse and because of that pine creek was able to diagnose it pretty quickly you know they only allowed 20 points one of them being on a kick return which can't blame the defense for so <sighs> there you go you know um but pine creek they show that they're that team bisteridge they got some soul searching to do. I'm just going to say that. They got some soul searching to do. You cannot call a game like that and expect to win. That's not going to fly in the playoffs. I'm going to be honest with you. You're not going to win a state championship or even win a playoff game with that kind of coaching. You know, Coaches, you got to do better. Um, I'm going to say that first and foremost. And Braden Dorman, I mean, you can't. You just can't make bad mistakes like that. You can't. You know, you can't make those mistakes and expect to win against contenders moving forward you know and Vista Ridge doesn't have an easy schedule they still have to play Palmer Ridge at the end of the year you know and they're a team that's rolling and is you know they're they're a perennial playoff team at this point a perennial contender at this point so you gotta be ready I I hope to see a better matchup there you know whenever they do play that's kind of a matchup that I want to go to eventually so there you go so I'm not worried about Braden Dorman and I'm gonna throw this out there as well but um where's dom nichols you know where's dom nichols and actually i'm gonna go ahead and answer that my own question because i know where dom nichols is he's on the sideline because apparently pine creek's head coach snitched well it's not snitching because nothing bad is going on his family legitimately moved you know down to colorado springs so there you go but pine creek's head coach notified chassa and said hey this kid dom nichols he is not eligible to play football here at vista ridge and there's really no good reason behind it you know there's not because in my eyes and you know from what i've heard and all the stories i've heard as well it's a legitimate move so at the end of the day i'm asking chassa what are you doing 
how come Dom Nichols is not on the field for Vista Ridge? Because I guarantee you, if Dom Nichols was on this field as a running back and as a defensive player for Vista Ridge, this game wouldn't have been a blowout. In fact, Vista Ridge could have won this game. I'm going to go ahead and say that. Dom Nichols should be on the field. Oh, and I'm going to throw this out there as well. Six. Six athletic directors uh, from around the springs or uh, from schools I compete against Vista Ridge have said that, you know, Dom Nichols should be on the field and they approve of him being on the football field. They don't feel like that he should not be able to play his senior year of football. But then you got Pomona. You know, there's some stuff that went there. From what I hear, and this is just my personal opinion, I don't exactly trust the Pomona head coach right now. I'm just going to say that. You know, um, then you got Pine Creek. They don't really even have an argument for this, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't know why they're interfering with Vista Ridge and what they got going on. But Dom Nichols should be on the football field. Chassa, I know they have one person up there. From what I hear, it's come down to one person and she has not made this decision. Even though we are three weeks into the fall football season. You got seven games left for a lot of these teams. And you have not made a decision. That is unacceptable. Completely unacceptable. And so, Chassa, I'm calling you out right now. Reestablish Dom Nichols and allow him to play for Vista Ridge. Um, I'm just going to be real. You know, Chassa, they're probably not listening to this. And to be honest with you, they probably don't care. And that just goes to show how much Chassa does for Colorado football at this point. Chassa is a cancer to Colorado football. If they really cared about Colorado football, they let Dom Nichols play plain and simple. I'm very passionate about this because Dom, he's a great dude. I met the guy, you know, he's a fantastic talent. 1,000 plus yard rusher for Pomona last year. He should have a chance to earn a scholarship to play on that next level because he is a next level football player. But instead, Chasa is robbing him. Uh, Pine Creek and Pomona by association is robbing him. And I feel like it's unfair. If he legitimately not just him but his family legitimately moved to Colorado Springs and he attends Vista Ridge I don't see the problem here he's not moving illegally his family's here they have jobs here so what are you doing so Chas I'm calling you out you're screwing this up I'm gonna be honest with you you're screwing this up allow Dom Nichols to play immediately Colorado football is better when Dom Nichols is playing. I'm going to leave that right there. I'm going to hope that Dom Nichols play. Because at this point, I'm going to be real. I didn't know that Vista Ridge didn't have Dom uh, to start this season. I expected him to be out there, but uh, they, they don't. you know. And so, I don't know if Vista Ridge is the same team you know, without Dom Nichols, to be honest with you. They're still probably going to contend and make some noise, but they're a different team with Dom Nichols. He deserves to be there. He deserves to play. And uh, that's all I have to say about that. But before I end this 4A segment here, I've mentioned his name a million times. I'm going to mention it one more time. Josiah Roy, the senior quarterback for Pine Creek. JoJo. You know, he went 4 of 11 for 89 passing yards and two passing touchdowns, but he ran for 158 rushing yards on 24 carries and three rushing touchdowns, including the game-sealing rushing touchdown. It goes without saying he's automatically in contention 
for that player of the week award you know he's been a big part of this offense uh in their past couple games as well against denver east and pueblo west so no huge surprises you know no huge surprises here he's been balling out he's a guy that you got to keep an eye out because he he looks like a next level player to me he looked like a next level player at least from what i saw i'd be surprised if teams on the next level at least didn't take a look at jojo roy here because he's that dude you know and with that being said pine creek i am confident in saying this they are a contender they're a team that can win state i i'm just gonna go ahead and say that they're a team that can win state right now and they're here to play and they just put the rest of the league and the rest of the 4A level on blast and just made this statement against Vista Ridge. They're a serious team in contention moving forward. You know, Pine Creek is back, baby. That's all I gotta say. Pine Creek is back. And with that being said, let's go ahead and uh, talk 5A football here before we talk about our Player of the Year awards here. All right, just going to throw this out there. Uh, Cody and Mason was actually able to make this Arapahoe versus Mountain Vista game on Thursday. This is one of the bigger games that we had in mind here going into this third week here. I am going to go ahead and put their excerpt at the end here because I want to talk about some of these other teams here. But uh, just keep that in mind. That was the only Thursday game. Well, one of the only Thursday games here that happened that I'm going to talk about on this uh, recap. The other Thursday game that I'm going to mention here real quick, uh, Legend versus Smoky Hill. Smoky Hill was kind of on a roll, you know, 2-0, just beating a Florida team. Uh, Legend ends that run with a resounding 35-8 dub, dropping them to 2-1, while Legend improves to 2-1. Legend, once again, led by their fantastic athlete, Bryce Vaz, who not only ran 24 times for 86 yards and two touchdowns, but also threw one pass for 16 yards and a touchdown. Um, great game by him. He did his thing. Legend took care of business. Uh, both teams are now at 2-1. and one. Now let's go ahead and hit Friday. Uh, let's stay in state. I only have one, well, sorry, two in-state games I'm going to mention here real quick. Or, well, games between in-state teams. One of those being Regis Jesuit versus Mullen. Regis beats them 35-21. Uh, to 21. Um, Regis Jesuit moves on to 2-1 and one after a tough dub over Mullen. Uh, their quarterback, Xander Carroll, he went off 12-20, 229 passing yards, three passing touchdowns. He also ran 16 times for 127 yards. Automatically in contention for player of the week uh while mullen's young quarterback blake palandino he's someone that we haven't talked about yet but he has a lot of talent kind of struggled 113 for 25 only 174 uh passing yards two passing touchdowns but also threw two picks that probably contributed to you know regis winning by two scores so there you go the other game i wanted to mention uh just really briefly here i don't want to get too deep into it but fairview versus grand junction uh central fairview goes ahead and wins gets back in the winning column to improve to two and one they win 17 to zero kind of in a more of a defensive match here uh beckham Kritza didn't exactly play the greatest game still you know went 27 of 38 for 330 passing yards uh no touchdowns though only through one interception so not bad you know not a bad game uh rushing wise actually came on the ground you have zach lewis he only had seven carries for 10 yards but 
two of those were touchdowns so uh big time uh, plays by zach lewis over there no but like i said it was mostly a defensive effort um nothing too crazy they just didn't allow them to score any points so 17 to 0 fairview is back in it at two and one and then the rest of the games that I'm going to talk about here are games against out-of-state teams. So let me go ahead and talk about Valor Christian versus Eastside Catholic. I believe they're a team from Washington. Um, they beat them 41-0, to so pretty easy dub over there. And, you know, Valor must have hurt us because they finally passed the ball. Not super great, but they passed the ball. Um, their quarterback, he went 12 for 21 for 167 yards and three passing touchdowns. Sawchuck only got 13 carries, which is the lowest amount of carries he's had all season. I don't believe he's actually had a game where he's had under 25 carries at all this season, but ran 13 times for 106 yards and a touchdown this includes a 76 yard long touchdown run and then valor also returned a punt for a touchdown as well so valor takes care of business proving to 3-0 on the season um beating east side catholic from washington and then you got columbine playing faith lutheran they're from nevada they're a pretty solid team from nevada actually and then once again seth cromwell shines in this out-of-state matchup uh runs 26 times for 136 rushing yards and three touchdowns also caught a pass for 32 yards um columbine would end up beating faith lutheran 21 to 11 playing columbine football you know running the ball playing good defense seth cromwell his name is automatically thrown in contention for player of the week here on the 5a level uh doing it against an out-of-state team a good out-of-state team you know columbine right now they are 3-0 and next week they are going to play highlands ranch then the last out-of-state game i want to talk about it's cherry creek versus chandler unfortunately cherry creek lost to nationally ranked chandler 7-17 uh our guy Mason austin was actually able to watch the uh live stream of this game live so he took down a bunch of notes the key notes he put down here their quarterback christian hammond he was struggling you know through two interceptions he had a fumble but that fumble uh i wouldn't say it was exactly his fault i he told me he was uh on a handoff on a jet sweep and the receiver didn't quite look it in but that still applied to christian hammond either way though three turnovers that's not what you want in an out-of-state game versus a powerhouse a national powerhouse that is and so christian hammond really struggled you know and he is a young quarterback uh didn't play a lot of quarterback coming up and so this was expected but this just proved to be too much you know for cherry creek as they lose 17 to 7 um mason did say their defense was playing really well though they came out to play and they showed that they're a team not only in the state of colorado but in the country that is very strong defensively he said they notched five sacks notably um and they're shutting down the run a lot they actually didn't allow a single point in the second half it was 17 to 7 to start uh the second half and it stayed that way throughout the game and part thanks to cherry creek's defense just playing really well and so if cherry creek's defense could do that to a national powerhouse a team known for having great quarterbacks and you know a great offense that doesn't look good for the rest of colorado but i think everyone already knew that so unfortunately cherry creek couldn't get the dub but 
you know, made us made some statements though. Just made some statements though. I, I feel like you gotta keep throwing that out there. So uh, Cherry Creek, they're gonna come back home here to Colorado to play the rest of their Colorado schedule, which they probably shouldn't lose the game moving forward here. So there you go. But speaking of contenders, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and let Mason and Cody talk about the Arapaho versus Mountain Vista game that they were able to attend. Uh, shout out to Coach Joe Nu over there, you know, but they were able to attend and be on the sidelines for. So, here you go. Hey, y'all. How's it going? I'm one of your co-hosts for this segment, Cody Stoffer. And I'm one of the co-hosts, Mason Austin. And we are going to be talking about the Arapaho Warriors versus Mountain Vista Eagles game that Mason and I made it out to on Thursday night, where you had Arapaho coming in. 2-0, they just got off of a very massive win, uh, back-to-back massive wins, I'd say, where they beat Rocky Mountain in Fort Collins 40-14, to and then they beat in-town rival Heritage, who is 4A, but still a, a good moral victory here, winning 42 to nothing and winning the rivalry milk jug back. And Mountain Vista won their first week 17 to nothing against Pooter. And then they lost their second game, which was also a home game, to Grandview High School, which is one of the contenders that Simon and I talked about. Make sure to listen to our 5A preview to see everything that we had to say about Grandview High School. And they lost to Grandview 38-13. to So heading into this game, Mason, I'm sure you would agree, Arapaho was pretty unanimously the favorite to win this game, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah, they have... Um, and once again, listen to the preview episode, but they have two three-star defensive linemen. Mountain Vista doesn't have any rated prospects as of right now. They have two quarterbacks that they use depending on the plays. So that's, you know, it's not, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Ideal. You'd rather have one quarterback that could do it all and not be able to let the defense key in on which quarterback does what, but that's not how Vista rolled. And so heading into this game, you know, it definitely looked like Arapaho could take it. Um, before the game, Mason and I actually had a chance to talk to the coaching staff a little bit. Mason also saw some familiar faces, and I, I figure I pass it to you to shout out some of your old middle school players that you saw out there on the varsity field for Arapaho, Mason. Yeah, so I'm going to look at this uh, real quick. So I saw number. 99 Exodus Johnson. Um, I saw. I don't know their numbers, Cody. Bruh. I don't know their numbers, bro. You could just say their name. Okay. And then I also saw Wyatt Staubach. Um, I saw MJ. I saw a couple different kids that I coached out there. Um, it was it was pretty cool to see him playing varsity, making me feel a little old. <laughs> uh yeah i was about to say they're they're filling some holes that you left mason <laughs> uh, <I guess> so. <laughs> uh but anyways we had a chance to talk to coach new before the game and i i was really excited i was even more excited for the game after talking to coach new mason i'm pretty sure you felt some of the energy that he was exuding and getting excited for the play calling you know that Maybe didn't go the way that we thought it would, but, you know, pregame, he was talking about this was the first year that he had guys who were in the program for four years, 
so your Cole Hansons especially, and those kind of guys. So it was the first full rotation of players to be in this former Valor system and play calling and culture. And he talked about when he first went to Valor with Coach Rod Sherman, they all came from California. And at the time, a lot of Colorado offenses weren't running multiple offenses. And so when Valor first did it, you know, their first season, they went four and six. And then the next year they won a championship in their second year, running a multiple offense kind of, you know, formations and play calling and run pass balance and different just variety was the spice of life at Valor. Mason, I'm sure that you remember just like basically the decade of dominance that was Valor as they skyrocketed, you know, up through the one and two and three, four or five A in football and winning a championship basically everywhere that they went. Yeah, I definitely saw them over the years. You all you heard growing up was, hey, Valor Christian is the one that's going to win. Valor Christian is, you know, rated to win. And it was all, you know, that coaching staff with Rod Sherman and everybody there. And it's cool to see him over at Arapa. And I was definitely very excited to see the different formations coming in. Because, you know, coming from old Arapaho with the single formation, I form, you know, one thing, no adjustments on the defense, maybe one adjustment max. Like, it was cool to hear him talk about everything going to be like a lot of adjustments and on the go type of stuff. Yeah, and it got us super excited because we thought we were going to see you know, 2012 Valor offense out there uh, in an Arapaho uniform. But we'll get into that a little bit later. As far as some players that we're going to talk about and players that he told us to watch, you know, you have three-star recruit Jared Ramos. That's number 85. Mason's going to talk about him. Number eight, Jackson Adams, three-star recruit, who, you know, Mason and I will both talk about. Pyrese Miller, who is a great athlete, and we'll talk about him a little bit more. Then Brandon McGowan, Jack Ryan, Clayton Christ, and Benjamin Brown on the offensive line. And including Benjamin Brown, who's a 6'3", 240-pound freshman, I believe it was. As well as we were told to look out for Exodus Johnson, who Mason formerly coached. And, you know, he's been able to put up some pretty good stats this year there in the middle as a sophomore. As well as Cole Hansen as well were some of the guys that we were looking out for and so i'm gonna go through the live tweet which whatever games we make it out to we're gonna really try and live tweet and so we live tweeted this game and so arapaho gets a big run from pyrese miller on the first run from scrimmage on the first play from scrimmage to set him up first and 10 inside of like i want to say like the 30 yard line and that drive ends with a Cole Hansen touchdown pass to Charlie Eckhart, who we were also told to look out for. He's a sophomore wide receiver for Arapo. And he, I think he had a pretty solid game. And Arapo jumped out to a 7-0 lead. And Mason and I definitely thought that's kind of how the rest of the game was going to go. And it is not how the rest of the game went. Um, Mountain Vista actually responded with a passing touchdown of their own. It was down the left sideline and it was a massive moss also mason and i talked about this that they had a scripted double pass in their first was that the third play from scrimmage i want to say was, yeah it was their third play their third play from scrimmage they mountain vista ran a double pass that almost went for a score yeah it was like a run then a pass and then a double pass yeah so 
Vista knew that they were going to have to, you know, pull out the entire bag of tricks to to compete with this Rappo team, and they were willing to do so. Apparently, uh, Kevin Looney, I believe, is the coach over there at Mountain Vista, and he's a former Valor guy as well. So you had former Valor coaches facing off against each other and getting to see that Rod Sherman coaching tree essentially branching out. So, but anyways, you know, after Vista gets this passing touchdown, the score is tied 7-7 with a little under seven minutes left to go. And that was up until another passing touchdown. This was Austin. Oh, man. Austin, you're going to have to tell us how to say this name because I know I'm going to butcher it. But Austin Modrzewski passed it to, you know, this pretty good prospect here, Nick Stone, who I'll summarize his game a lot more later when talking about cornerbacks and secondary. But he found Nick Stone, who had a massive moss catch once again to put Mountain Vista up 14 to 7 before the first quarter even ended. So Vista, you know, their defense comes out, stops the Arapo offense and is able to capitalize and score. Then you find in the second quarter with 11 minutes to go, Cole Hansen, it was actually this was a really clean play here because Pyrese Miller, I think he had a little bit of a chip walk and then kind of went into a swing pass. And Cole Hansen stepped up in the pocket and he had very good touch on this pass. It was a red zone touchdown, I want to say from like 11 yards out. And he found Pyrese Miller going down the right sideline to tie the game back up 14-14 with 11 minutes to go in the first half. So at this point, you know, we just think that it's a competitive game and... That was actually the last touchdown that Arapaho would score for the rest of the game. <laughs> um, so, but anyways, their Mountain Vista gets the ball back, and their other quarterback, Dane Dowtry, I believe is how you say it. He's a senior. He found Nick Stone, who had a massive catch and run um, on this play to put Vista up 20 to 14. And then uh, Arapaho got a block from Bo Dowdy to, you know, only make it 20 to 14, basically heading into halftime. Except there's one tweet here that I wanted to talk about where Jackson Adams actually had two batted passes on this drive to get Arapaho back. That They forced Mountain Vista to go three and out. So the Arapaho defense is kind of everything that we knew heading into the season as far as their front seven and especially their defensive line being especially dominant. And then you also had uh, Sterling DeCosta Jr. He's their safety there and he's a class of 23 guy. He had a massive tackle to, you know, stop the stop the drive and force Vista to punt. However, Arapo wasn't able to capitalize with about a minute left in half. And so the score heading into halftime was 20 to 14. Mason, I just want to give you a second to talk about some things that you noticed and some things that we were kind of talking about at halftime for this Arapo team. Well, what I really noticed on this Arapo squad is like their defensive line was dominating in that first half. Like, as you said, like the two batted passes. You know, they had pressure going up the middle, but I thought where they were lacking was kind of in the secondary. And I think that's where we really talked is like like their secondary is going to need to tighten up a little bit. And then on offense, they're going to have to switch up some stuff because they started to go a little flat. Um, 
And I think our biggest, my biggest thing was their offensive line was picking up everything until roughly halfway through the second quarter is when they started blitzing more. And once they started blitzing, the, the Arapaho line didn't actually pick it up as well. And I think that's where they started to see success on that Vista defense. Absolutely. And I know that we talked at halftime as far as, you know, if you're the Rappo coaching staff, what do you do coming out into this half? And if you're the Vista coaching staff, what do you do coming out into this half? And you and I both wholeheartedly agreed Vista is going to come out and blitz because Arapo, I know that their two touchdowns up until this point were both passing touchdowns, but they were, I would say at this point, kind of overcommitted to the running game. And so we are like, okay, this is going to start sending six or seven guys every single play until you show that, you know, you should, that they have to respect the deep ball, essentially. So that, you know, was kind of the thoughts for the Vista side heading into half. And then for the Rappo side, we, we said that they needed to switch it up on offense if they wanted a chance and that they had to make some adjustments in the secondary because the secondary was very vulnerable in that first half. So... <clears throat> And surprise, surprise, there aren't really any adjustments in the secondary for Arapo here. And Nick Stone, who I would say is the player of the game in this game for Mountain, Mount, for, well, for either side, but especially for Mountain Vista, he's a wide receiver there. He was an all-conference wide receiver last year. He's a senior this year, 6'1", 175 pounds. And he had a 40-plus yard catch and run where... I, I want to say he outran whoever was covering him. Then he shrugged like one arm tackle and then just beat everyone down the sideline. And, oh, we almost forgot to mention that the Mountain Vista crowd was actually pretty hype this game. Um, there was definitely some questionable cheers and chants going on. However, they were loud this game and it didn't really feel like a home game honestly for Rappo if I'm being completely honest um Mason wouldn't you agree with that statement that Vista kids showed up just as much if not more than the Arapaho uh tribe I guess is what the fan section's called yeah I would say uh they really showed out for their you know the Vista team the Vista team pulled out with pretty much the same amount of people that the the tribe had um and you know the arapaho fans are being loud and all but the vista fans were on another level like i that was insane they were louder than the home team so you know it definitely was not the home field advantage that you think it would be yeah and it it got into i would say it definitely got into the heads of the arapaho sideline if i'm being completely honest just you know, because there is like multiple times where that crowd was just rocking the stadium low key. And there is definitely some tension on the Arapaho sideline based off of the crowd noise in Vista. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later, I said for the 18th time. But anyways, this game kind of reaches its standstill here at the end of the third quarter slash, you know, beginning of the fourth quarter. So Vista's up 27 to 14 with 9.17 left in the third quarter. Arapo offense spuds out. The defense shows up and they get a massive break too because the um the Vista Vista had a really bad snap at some point. And so, you know, they get a punt and they get great field position like on the other side of the 30. 
And Arapaho has a great drive and they have first and goal. First and goal from, I want to say like the nine yard line. And Mason, do you want to go over the play calls from first and goal for Arapaho inside the red zone? Yeah, so first down, they had a run play. It was a dive play. Second down, they had, and it went for like two yards. And second down, they had a stretch play that went for negative two yards. And third down, they had another run play that went for, I believe it was a stretch to the opposite side that went for like three yards. So they gained like two yards. So it was like fourth and eight. Yeah, and they also, or I guess it wasn't end goal because they get helped out with a penalty to get a first down. And then they run the ball three more times in a row. <laughs> and so when four consecutive run plays happen, including, you know, a, a, a running, a set of running calls that actually puts you at three and out inside the red zone, that turns into a first down because of a penalty. And then you run the ball three more consecutive times, just get stuffed over and over and over again. And you have to leave with a field goal. That sucked the wind out of Arapo, and I'm pretty sure that's when Mason and I said that this game is probably over. Because, you know, we go into this game, we're promised, you know, basically a lot of a multiple offense system. We're promised a lot of things. And this Arapo team, in the moments that it matters, is completely uncreative in their play calling and runs the ball four consecutive times in a row and settles for a field goal being down 17 to 27 heading into the fourth quarter. They lose their momentum because, you know, everyone was expecting touchdown on this drive and it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. And so in this fourth quarter, not really a whole lot happens. Both defenses kind of take turns, you know, going back and forth a little bit. But at the end of the day, you know, Vista gets another interception. The Repo defense tries to step up and make some plays and... It just it does it just doesn't work out, and so at the end of the day, the final score is 17 to 27, with Arapo losing an upset to Mountain Vista. Um, Mason, takeaways from this game from the Arapaho side and from the Vista side, what do you got? My takeaways from the Arapaho side is that defensive line is a force to be reckoned with. Um. If they can get the secondary intact behind them, that defense could probably stop anybody. That that defensive line all the way through, all four guys they rushed, I watched them all in the backfield multiple times. You know, we had you had number 99. You had I think they had 97 out there coming in off the bench. I, they had 885. You know, like everybody was there. Everybody was making plays. This. Secondary needs some help, and on offense, they need some different play calling. They need to not rely on the run 40 times a game. They they definitely need to put some trust in their quarterback and throw the ball. Um, the Vista side, I like to see how the crazy play calling they called. There were some plays they did that I was like, okay, this is insane. Um, I thought defensively, Vista figured it out they figured out you know what you got to do to stop 
you know, this team is you got to stop the run. So what they do by the end of the third, they were rushing eight. Then they knew they didn't have to worry about the pass because they just kept handing it off. And yeah, they let up a couple plays, but they pit, played a lot of bend, don't break. And it ended up causing a lot of discrepancies in the offensive calling for Arapo and Arapo just didn't respond. So I say Vista played a very, very well played game. Yeah, no, I was impressed with Vista. They were running RPOs. They were running triple option passes, double passes, screen plays, mid screens, bubble screens, running back screens. They had a variety of routes being ran. Also, Nick Stone, like I said, definitely the player of the game. He, you know, he had two big time, like, you know, Moss style catches in the end zone on number four of Arapo, I believe both times. And then on his massive catch and run, you know, he just stayed with the quarterback all the way across the field and did a little bit of improv on his route. So kudos to his football IQ and field awareness and, you know, getting it done and putting this game away really with that massive 40 yard catch and run with with the noise that the Mountain Vista crowd was making and with the air that was sucked out of the Arapaho fans, both, you know, the student section and the you know, parent slash fan section, that game was basically over as soon as that play happened, in in my opinion. So kudos to Nick Stone for having a heck of a game. And I'm going to have to repeat exactly what Mason said. You know, this defensive line is definitely up there with the best in the state. You know, Jackson Adams, I'd say, was, you know, the big time threat. And, you know, like I said, he was able to he's pretty athletic, so he's able to get his hands up and bat down some passes And, you know, also get a rush. And no matter which way Vista was running, like their triple option, whether it was 85 or number eight, they were both getting double, sometimes even triple teamed. So there's not really much more of a compliment you could have than getting double or triple teamed. And the strategy was to, you know, double or triple team those guys and go all the way around the end and end up against the linebackers or against the cornerbacks essentially was Vista's running game plan and then you know expose their cornerbacks in one-on-one coverage and that happened pretty routinely number four I'd say in the Rappo secondary he is going to either have to you know put this game behind him maybe it was just one game or they might have to look for another option because he got mossed twice and you can't be losing those jump balls where you have the advantage. Like the ball was not in the perfect spot for the receiver to go up and get it. The receiver had to catch it over number four and they routinely did it. So that is a huge weakness in the secondary. And if you can't cover mountain Vista's passing game, what are you going to do on the rest of the schedule? Mason, they have thunder Ridge coming up. And I believe it's for homecoming and Thunder Ridge has Seth Frazier, who is leading the state, I'm pretty sure, in touchdown passes. He has 11 touching touchdown passes and he has another two on the ground. So if you're not going to be able to stop the two quarterbacks at Mountain Vista, who I don't think if you combine them, you get the player that Seth Frazier is. How are you going to stop Seth Frazier? And then after that, you know, you have Rock Canyon, Eagle Crest, Cherokee Trail, then Cherry Creek. Cherry Creek with Coyote Jr.? Who's going to cover him? Honestly, I don't think anyone is. Uh, unless they figure it out. Because losing those jump balls, I see 
I see, you know, Thunder Ridge coming out, throwing a good game, and then that just paves the way for, you know, the Creek coaching staff is very intelligent. They will always, always just, like, watch film and see where the weak points are, and that's where they're going to attack. So if they see that it's the passing game, you won't see Creek run. You'll see Creek throw the ball. So it's going to be a interesting way to see what they do to answer next week. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Mason, do you want to talk about the incident at the end of the game? Or it wasn't at the end of the game, but near the end of the game. Okay, so on the sideline, uh, it was... Arapahoe was on offense, I want to say. Cody? No, no, no. It was an interception. Oh, okay. Yeah, so number 10 intercepted the ball from Vista, ran down the sideline, uh, got hit by the guys, and a lot of emotion came out. Um, And basically a fight broke out where number 10 on Arapahoe was, you know, yelling, screaming, swinging. On a bunch of the Vista guys. So then they pull number 10 out of the game. uh, And he goes to the sideline. Where he is very upset. You know. And rightfully so. You know. Emotions coming out. It's okay. But then he starts going after the crowd. And he starts walking over. Towards the Vista crowd. And he's yelling at them. You know. Throwing his hands up. Jumping at them. You know. At this whole point. You know. 85 and 8 are both trying to, you know, shoo him away. They're like, bro, what are you doing? Leave him alone. You know, some of his offensive linemen are helping him out, trying to get him out of there. And then he goes and sits in the locker room. So it was a very heated emotion play that should not have happened. Yeah, no, it was a mess. It was a mess. And the Arapaho coaches were really upset. And so is number 10. And I wanted to take this time to talk about, look, number 10, Mason, you'd agree with me. He's a playmaker. He's an electric athlete. He can play both sides of the ball. He can catch. He can run. He's fast. He's got good footwork. You know, the everything that you want out of, out of a next level athlete. What hurts your recruiting? Stuff like this, where you get into a fight at the sideline. Emotions are high at the end of the game. And then you're you're running at the crowd and and you're taunting and chanting them on when you're losing a football game by 10 points. There, look, football is a very high emotion game. Uh, there's a lot riding on, you know, these these kids, some of these kids' futures. But if you're going to be, there's a thin line between emotional and passionate and emotional and toxic. And Number 10 definitely fell into the category of toxic. You know, he was an emotional roller coaster throughout the entire game. Coaches and players were trying to reel him in and were unsuccessful to the point where it ends up where he has to end up heading to the locker room with, I want to say, like, you know, three minutes, four minutes left in the game, which you don't want to see out of your best athlete. And I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up with a suspension in this Thunder Ridge game. And then you're in an even worse spot because DJ Montoya wasn't healthy for this game against Mountain Vista. And with Pyrese Miller out, you're down to your third string running back, worst case scenario, heading into this game where, A, all you know how to do apparently is run the ball. 
and B, this Thunder Ridge team. You want to run the ball against them to keep the ball out of Seth Frazier's hands. And you're not in a good spot to do that based off of, you know, players that really spiraled out of control here at the end of this game. I 100% agree with everything you just said. So I just wanted to throw it out there to players. It doesn't matter how good you are. If you're toxic, your recruiting is going to suffer and your future is going to suffer. And so you're going to have to figure out that line between, you know, the game and looking forward to the rest of your life. Because this Vista game, it ended at, you know, 930. The score was 27 to 17. That's the end of the game. On to the next week. You know what I mean? You're allowed to be upset. You're allowed to be mad. You won't, you're allowed to call people up and, you know, show emotions. But you can't do what Pyrese Miller did. And so I hope that Pyrese grows and learns from this experience. And I hope that the other Arapaho players grow and learn from this experience as well. But it did need to be addressed. Uh, I don't think I really have too much else to add on. Mason, I know that you wanted to talk about the refing. There was definitely questionable calls. And, you know, penalties played a bit of a factor in this game. I think that the refs were calling pretty soft all game. No, I totally agree. I think, uh, you know, there's a couple questionable calls for both teams. You know, we had a couple sideline warnings on the Arapaho sideline. You know, that's the sideline we were standing on. And they had a couple sideline warnings that I personally don't think should have been called. You know, they they got the first one and that one was definitely supposed to be called. Um, after that, they got a sideline infraction. And that one was because the ref ran back far and then was yelling at them for being too far forwards um there's a couple late hits that weren't late hits and there was a couple non-late hit calls that were supposed to be called um i'd say there was a couple penalties that you know they called a lot of holding and offsides penalties i think it was like four straight calls where it was an offsides neutral zone fraction offsides and we didn't get to see any play for a good two minutes just because of you know the refs calling everything and I think they called super soft and you know at the end of the day I don't think it changed the score of the game or would change the score of the game but I do think it definitely had an impact on how everyone's emotions happened yeah no there is definitely a brewing frustration on the Arapaho sideline from both players and coaches but you know that's one of those things where you unfortunately can't control it Right. Um, I think that the worst of it was when they got the ball on like the 37 and then they got penalty. It was first and 10 from the 37 yard line. And then they got penalties, putting them back where it was like third and 30 or something like that. It was ridiculous. So there's definitely been some questionable refing. We've been knew that, you know, there's a refing shortage on every level in every sport. I, I work in sports personally with, you know, on the recreation level, and we have a hard time finding refs for a level of competition that's not that serious. High school football is really serious, and so it's hard to find refs, and when you finally do, maybe they're not the most qualified. But, you know, back to that culture problem or something. But, so Mason, I... I I stated my thoughts. I'm out on Arapaho as a contender. I I don't think if you if you lose to Vista at home, I don't think that you're going to beat a Cherry Creek. 
in the playoffs or in the regular season. I don't think that you beat a Grandview in the playoffs or the regular season. I think that you struggle really bad with this Thunder Ridge game coming up. Now, I'm open to them changing my mind on this Friday, but I don't think I'm going to wait that long to put a fork in them. Where are you at with Arapahoe High School and their plans to contend for a state championship? I think I'm right out. now. I think I'm out. Um, I could see, you know, like the defensive line on a different crew, you know, that level of a defensive line helping out a team winning a state championship. And their offensive line did just fine when they weren't getting rushed by eight or nine guys. But honestly, like unless something dramatically shifts on that sideline for, you know, play calling and, you know, their secondary and they start playing at that next level, um, I don't see him contending. I don't see him making it past the first round of playoffs. So that's your challenge, Rappo. Prove Mason Austin and I, Cody Stoffer, wrong. We we know about the culture at Rappo. And honestly, kind of feels like the same thing now. So go out there, beat this Thunder Ridge team on Friday night, and maybe we'll reconsider. But until then, that is the Arapo and Vista recap. Stay tuned for, you know, our weekly recaps and players of the week coming up in the following weeks. And make sure to submit, you know, candidates for our top five player list. This is the class of 22 players that we're looking at. And we're thinking about starting with linebackers. So go ahead and send us some linebackers to look at. Until next time, I am one of your co-hosts, Cody Stauffer. And I'm your co-host, Mason Austin. And peace. All right. Thank you, Cody and Mason, for that. Uh, Decided to keep in the last part there, so uh, (laughs) I don't have to say that at the end. But there you go. That's our 5A recap, and that's actually going to wrap up our recaps for this week. So, so yeah. Um, But coming up next, don't go just yet. We're going to talk about my Player of the Week picks, as well as some important games to look out for coming up in Week 4 of this 2021 Colorado football season. Alright, welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I'm your host for this weekly recap, Simon Villanos. And let me go ahead and talk about the players of the week starting on the 1A level. On the 1A level, you already know the players I was considering, but I went ahead and picked Lyman's defensive tackle, Eli Wisensi. He had three sacks versus Strasburg, eight total tackles. Like I said, could have been Kai Bandy here, but, you know, Eli, uh, I feel like deserves to be on here whenever you have a multi-sack game that has to be celebrated, especially against a team like Strasburg. So congrats to him. For my two-way player of the week now there were a lot of players in contention here this might not be the most popular pick but screw it i'm gonna go ahead and pick it it is manitou springs is ethan Bourne. he caught the game winning touchdown for manitou springs unfortunately i do not have their stats in fact manitou springs you have not put in any stats for this season so please if you have them put them in that helps us a lot that helps us give you coverage and do all that stuff properly but i'm gonna go ahead and give it to ethan Bourne. it's not every day that you score a game-winning touchdown 
to win your first homecoming game in a minute. So shout out to Ethan Boren of Manitou Springs. For my 3A matchup here, I got Meade's senior running back slash receiver, the athlete himself, Corby Teku. He ended with 117 rushing yards, two touchdowns on seven carries while catching two passes for 81 yards and a touchdown. He set the tone versus DCC, a team that's undefeated, a team that I feel like is a pretty solid team. You know, he set the tone. He had these defensive players flinching 10 yards away. I ain't never see something like that in my life. At least in person, I've never seen that in my entire life. And so this player of the week award goes out to Corby Teku over there for Mead High School. Uh, just going to throw this out there. Could have went to Tucker Peterson of Roosevelt. But I feel like Mead played kind of a tougher matchup in DCC here. So congrats Corby Teku and Mead as well. For my foray player of the week, I feel like this is probably the most obvious player of the week. But I got senior quarterback of Pine Creek. JoJo Roy ended up going 4 of 11 for 89 passing yards and two passing touchdowns. But his biggest contribution was on the ground, gashing Vista Ridge for 158 rushing yards on 24 carries and three rushing touchdowns in that beating they put on Vista Ridge. Jojo Roy, you know, this is super well deserving. He probably could have won it a couple other times these last two weeks, but I think this is a signature win for him and for Pine Creek versus an up and coming Vista Ridge football team. And then last but not least, my 5A player of the week for week three of this Colorado football season is senior running back from Columbine, Seth Cromwell. He did his thing versus a very good out-of-state team in Faith Lutheran. Ran 26 times for 136 rushing yards, three touchdowns. Also caught a pass for 32 yards. I don't think Columbine wins this game without Seth. Plain and simple. And so I feel like that's an obvious pick for Player of the Week. Congrats to all of these players here. There are plenty of great performances. Uh, I talked about them throughout this recap. If you're just... You know, if you're just tuning into this part of the podcast, might as well listen to the rest of it eventually, right? But just wanted to throw that out there. A lot of great performances, but I feel like these five guys deserve to win Player of the Week. So there you go. Alright, so to end this recap, I know it's kind of a longer episode, but if you made it this far, thank you for rocking with us. But to end this episode, I am going to talk about some games in week four to look out for some of these games we might attend some of these games we're going to definitely keep an eye on and potentially cover in the week four recap next week that cody will actually run and so uh first game we have discovery canyon versus pine creek on thursday september 16th so i'm going to start with these thursday games um you know discovery canyon's two and one pine creek is three you know uh if uh, if Pine Creek could beat Vista Ridge, I think they could beat DCC. So just going to throw out that matchup. But, you know, still a matchup of some solid teams here in the Springs. A matchup that I am going to go to is Skyline versus Silver Creek. Silver Creek at 3-0, Skyline at 2-1. That should be a really good matchup as well. Another one on Thursday is Montrose versus Palisade. Montrose obviously coming off that dub versus Durango. They're 3-0 versus a 2-1 Palisade. And so that'll actually wrap up the games for that Thursday, September 16th. 
Moving into the Friday games, obviously we will be at that Rampart Dakota Ridge game, so you know, look out for that. There's also that Monarch vs. Broomfield game. Now on paper, it doesn't look like the most important game, but if Broomfield is to make the playoffs, they gotta win this game. This is a must-win game already for Broomfield as they enter week four. Uh, another game to look out for, Elizabeth versus TCA. You saw what Eden did to Elizabeth. Um, you know, you saw what TCA did to Harrison. This should be an interesting matchup as TCA is 3-0 playing a 2-1 Elizabeth. Uh, another game that Cody and I will be going to actually uh, on Friday is a Vista Ridge versus Falcon. Now, uh, Falcon is 2-1 and, and Vista Ridge is 1-1. One one. So, Falcon actually has the better record. This should be an interesting battle here. Uh, we're going to be looking for Vista Ridge to bounce back here against Falcon. So, there you go. You got Fort Morgan Conifer, Fort Morgan 2-0. An explosive offense versus Conifer, who lost a close one. Now they're 2-1. That should be another good one. On the 1A level, you have Centauri versus Strasburg. Strasburg just lost their starting quarterback. Be interesting to see how they bounce back versus an undefeated Centauri team. Uh, on the 5A level, kind of switching the script here real fast, we have Ralston Valley undefeated versus Grandview, who is also undefeated. So that should be an interesting matchup as well. In addition, you do have Eagle Valley versus University. Both of these teams are undefeated. University at 3-0. Not something we would have uh, predicted, so that'll be an interesting one. Uh, Durango takes on Farmington, an out-of-state team. Farmington is currently 4-0. Uh, you already know what the deal is with Durango, so that should be good. On the 5A level, once again, you have Seth Frazier and Thunder Ridge uh, facing off versus a, an Arapahoe team that is looking to bounce back after a loss that Cody and I didn't necessarily predict, so that'll be a good one. Uh, we got Windsor and Loveland. This should be a physical football game if you love old school football this is your game <laughs> this is your game for sure um another game to look out for castleview versus douglas county uh this is a rivalry game both of these teams are at three and oh that should be a good one down in castle rock i want to say uh we got northridge versus mead another battle of undefeateds northridge at three and oh mead at two and oh you got longmont at erie that should be a good one you know uh, Longmont's 1-2 record doesn't speak for them. Uh, Erie's 3-0 record does speak for them, though. So it'll be an interesting matchup. Uh, we got Basalt and Glenwood Springs. Both of these teams are 3-0 right now. We got Palmer Ridge and Pueblo West. Palmer Ridge at 3-0. Pueblo West at 2-1. And, and then last but not least on this Friday night, you have Cherry, Cherry Creek at 2-1. And, and Arvada West at 3-0. Cherry Creek looking to bounce back after their loss to out-of-state Chandler and lastly there are really only two matchups here well maybe not just two matchups but these two matchups are the most interesting to me and uh, the rest of the guys here that is Eden versus Platte Valley at 6 p.m. Uh, I said this game could be a trap game for Eden so we'll just have to see how that goes and then the other one is Holyoke versus Florence Holyoke at 2-0 Florence at 3-0 and so that should be an interesting one as well those are the interesting matchups for this week. Thank you so much for listening to the Playmakers Corner podcast. Feel free to show us some love on all of our social medias. That's Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Twitter as well. Uh, almost forgot about that one. And then 
if you are listening to this on a major streaming platform which i'm sure you are whether that's spotify or apple Podcasts or whatever go ahead and give us a good rating we appreciate all the support and thank you so much for the support that y'all have showed uh to us throughout these last couple weeks be on the lookout for more content coming out uh on this friday i will be releasing a spotlight on a handful of teams that y'all have requested either in our dms or on tiktok so there you go but once again thank you for rocking with us and have a great day